<sighs> I just have to run more. I think that's that's the obvious solution, right? Yeah, I mean, you did that. Uh, what was that fucker? A twenty mile? Oh, oh. it was rough. <laughs> I was walking a lot of hills towards the end. Yeah, that was a surprise. I mean, maybe it was a surprise to you. I knew what was going to happen <laughs> on the way out because it was um, it was it was uh, kind of out and back. Like you. You go six miles, and then there's a big loop, and then you come the six miles back in. And so you're getting a preview of how you're going to end, and knowing that, uh, I knew it was going to be rough. And I had a feeling I was going to be tired, and then when I actually, you know, mile 17 or so, I was like, I am tired. (laughs) This is not going well. Not, Uh, Not just the capital T, it's capital everything. Yes, and so... Yeah, there were a few hills where I, I even did the thing where you push down on your knees with your hands. Yep. Yep. Shit, there's a name for that. Total fucking exhaustion? No, it's like te- uh, technical trail runners actually do that on purpose, not just because they're exhausted. <laughs> I'm, yes, I'm sure there's an actual technical term behind it. Uh, but we don't do that around here because tech is garbage, I think. <laughs> That's a great episode title right there. Yeah, I think so. Should we uh, should we do the thing with the stuff? In the sense that we don't know what we're doing or why? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Hello, alleged human, and welcome to the Chaos Lever podcast. My name is Ned, and I'm definitely not a robot. I'm a hu- real human person. I have feelings, I have dreams, I have transistors, and and, uh, ambitions. I have ambitions. With me is uh, is Chris, who is also here. Let's talk about some tech garbage. Uh, Yeah, this is the first episode of Chaos Lever. Uh, If you're looking for previous works, works cited, from us, you could find them on Buffer Overflow if that still existed on the internet. Could. <laughs> could. Uh, I've given some serious thought to republishing, uh, maybe not all of them, but a smattering of our greatest hits. Um, so maybe that will happen on uh, the chaoslever.com website, where you also could find this episode and all future episodes. Uh, but Chris, why are we doing this? What's the point? Uh... I was not aware there was going to be questions. <laughs> I was told there'd be no math. Uh, yeah. Well, I think it, it's kind of the same mission statement as Buffer Overflow, right? We want to talk about... We observe the tech world around us. Mm-hmm. We mock it incessantly. Yes. Occasionally, yeah. there are snacks. I, I mean, snacks. snacks will be provided to us. <laughs> not to you, listener. That's up to you. But uh, yeah, I've got some coffee coming my way very shortly. So that's good. Uh, French press coffee, because I am, as we know, very fancy. And very French. And very French. Well, I actually am French. So. Well, yeah, if you, if you pronounce your name with the appropriate accent, it's actually... Yes, you really got to get up in the nose there. That's, that's where the good feelings are. All right. So um, we're going to cover, I don't know, five or six things today. Things that are going on in the news, things that caught our eye. I suppose I'll go first. Shall I? Please do. All right. Please do. Storage is in my DNA. And yours? 
And that guy over there with the fish t-shirt. Courtesy of David Rosenthal's blog, he shared some recent developments in attempts to store data on strands of DNA. Isn't that cool? Isn't there already data on DNA? Uh, yeah, it's called us or right. all other living things on the planet. Yeah, you're using the non-inclusive us. <laughs> the royal us? Is that? The opposite of that, really. Uh, yeah, I guess. The non-regal us. The plebeian us. Oh, good. Another episode title. Excellent. We're lousy with them. <laughs> uh, the first thing that he shared is from a team of researchers at the University of Illinois Urbana uh, who have taken some inspiration from one of my favorite movies of all time, The Fifth Element. I will brook no argument in this. There is no argument. Okay, excellent. Uh, and the, the inspiration is not Mila Jovovich's uh, bandage costume. No, in fact, I'm talking about adding additional complexity that was found in her DNA. I See. think you added a Vova. Isn't uh, it just Jovovich? It is, but uh, Vava Voom, I'd like to add another Vo. <sighs> I'm so sorry. I apologize to everyone. Anyway, <laughs> so regular human DNA, uh, as we all know, or should know, is made from four bases, T, C, G, and A, which is why the movie is called Gattaca. Get it? No. Moving on. All right. You're welcome. Uh, so that's what does I... this have to do with dinosaurs? Oh, everything, I suppose. It's part of evolution, right? Um, the number of bases in DNA is not a limitation of chemistry. It's just kind of how life evolved. But you could add more if you wanted to. And that's what this team did. They added seven more, upping the ante to 11 bases. Now, why did they do such a crazy thing? Well, DNA-based storage is a thing that people have been experimenting with. And, and like one of the problems, one of many problems they've, they've run into is the speed at which they can read it. They use this thing called an, an MSPA nanopore uh, that the DNA goes through. And the nanopore uh, is there to detect the various protein chains on the DNA. Um, and the limitate, one of the limitations is how fast it can do this, which uh, is not very fast. And I don't know if you, you know this, but if you want to make use of a data storage medium, you have to be able to um, read and write to it kind of fast. Right, which is exactly why we're using DNS as a database. Yes, exactly. I mean, nothing is more efficient than than querying for quad A records. So they figured if we can't make it faster right now, maybe what we can do is make the information richer. And we can do that by instead of having just four bases to read from up it to 11. And now we're increasing like the data density and still reading at the same rate. So that's basically what they did. And uh, it, it, it seems to have worked. Um, you, can't, you can't put this DNA in a person, though. I don't think it would work out well. Well, I mean, when we did that in the movie, the fifth, I'm sorry, the documentary, The Fifth Element, it worked out great. <laughs> I guess it did for Bruce Willis. I mean, um, Corbin Dallas. Yeah, seriously, have some respect. <laughs> 
Oh, he's a whole can of worms that we don't need to get into. But God, his his um, filmography in the last 10 years has just been absolute garbage. Um, anyway, so they added the additional bases. That definitely is going to help move the technology forward. The other thing came from a collaboration between the Cambridge Cavendish Lab and the University of Massachusetts. And what they did was try to find a way to increase the read speed of those nanopores. So the way it works today is there's these tiny little molecular motors, like the micro machine guy, like that's smaller than that, Chris. He was a regular sized person. You know that, right? I disagree. He could get in the micro machines. I remember this vividly. <sighs> okay. Later after the show, we're going to have to talk about TV versus real life, but go ahead. Uh, what do you mean? I mean, TV's a documentary that somebody else is shooting, right? No, those are movies. That's completely different. Oh, okay. Well, I, Bravo has me misled. It's it's fine. Okay. Well, uh, so this team said, hey, what if we could do this without molecular motors? But that would mean that the DNA strands would be going through the nanopore like way too fast. The molecular motors are there to slow it down. It takes a, a step every few milliseconds. To, to walk through the strand. So what they've been doing is trying to get better accuracy at sequence detection with the nanopores by better understanding the physics of DNA strands as they move through uh, a solution. And it, and it worked. So they're now able to read the strands without using the molecular motors. So combining that with the 11 base enhanced strands, we're looking at something that could actually be useful in, the, in like 20 years. <laughs> so what are we, are we talking about just like a DNA based tape to tape? Like, is that what's happening here in terms of the reading? Like, it sounds like it's reading 11 bits at a time at increasing speeds. It would be, it wouldn't be 11 bits because you would be encoding, it's not ones and zeros, right? It is 11 bits of, in, uh, I, I just said that. It's like base 11. So instead of reading base two, it'd be reading base 11. So you can put more information into there if you have a mapping of what those bases correspond to, um, whatever you know data writing algorithm you've come up with. I think the reason they want to use DNA is because it is very durable um, and it has some error correction mechanisms kind of built into it. And obviously, if you're storing at that molecular level, your density is incredible. Right. Um, so uh, lots of potential benefits there, but obviously, you know, it's one of those things where they have to work out all of these little weird kinks about how to actually use it before it could be even thought about scaling up to something that would be used by uh, even the cloud giants, let alone someone who would pop it into, you know, pop a DNA chip into their phone for extra storage. And is it alive? No. Will it be alive? Maybe. What <laughs> no, is? Uh, 
alive. Well, that, I mean, that is a larger debate that you could have is how do you define life? And it usually comes back to you like, I know it when I see it type situations. Right. Because there has been many attempts to classify exactly what is life. Is it just the ability to reproduce yourself uh, or reproduce your kind? Or is there something more to it than that? Um, and by right. some or are viruses alive? Exactly. That's the one it always comes back to. Do we actually count viruses as being a living organism? Or are they just like a machine that exhibits a molecular uh, biologic machine? But aren't we also? <laughs> I don't think it'll technically be alive, but if it can reproduce itself, if you fed it into a machine that could then reproduce itself and record itself, it's like makeup, then yeah, I guess maybe it would be alive. And then we would finally have data from Star Trek Next Generation. I mean, I was going to talk about resiliency, but I guess your idea is good, too. Uh, it usually is. Better than yours. <laughs> and everybody knows it. <laughs> so that's my cool storage thing. Uh, we're talking, yeah, 15, 20 years out to actually apply this technology to everyday problems. But, you know, it's cool. And I like cool things. Uh, what's your thing? It's probably lame. And I hate it. Well, it's about Microsoft. So, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, my MVP is not, not going to be <laughs> this year. <laughs> it wasn't looking good already. Oh, all right. So I, I saw this on the interwebs, but uh, tell me more about Microsoft and ads. So they had, they had a little kerfuffle this week. Um, they first had a release that was uh, noticed by people who were subscribed to the Microsoft Insider channel for Windows 11 releases. Mm -hmm. so this is a very small but very technical audience. Yes. Basically, I, the people that are beta testing Windows 11 for free. For free, yes. I did that for a while when I was deep in the Microsoft MVP ecosystem. And right. I thought, you know, I should be running the latest build all the time. So I... I opted for the insider's ring and I opted for the fast ring and that lasted about two months. <laughs> and after my fourth green screen, because your screens goes green instead of blue, I gave oh. up. Yeah. But anyway, so what awesome thing did they do? So they found and made immediate hay about the fact that Microsoft appeared to be testing out advertisements within their Explorer a.k.a. the thing you use to traverse the file system. I'm familiar with it. Uh, that makes me worried. What kind of ads are we talking about here? So it appears, at least initially, that these are all Microsoft advertising Microsoft. So the one that got attention um, was a product called Microsoft Editor, which, hilariously enough, I didn't know existed. <laughs> This was advertised when a user was browsing their documents directory or their my documents directory. Okay. So they were, and I'm familiar with this editor thing because I stumbled over it a couple days ago when helping my wife with a word document. She was, right. she was writing a word document and I was like, where's the spell check? And there's no spell check button, but there was this editor button. And then I hit F7 like you do. And it pulled up the editor instead of spell check. And I got very annoyed. Yeah. And if you're not careful, you end up paying for that because apparently you pay extra for that. I don't want to pay for that. But I don't okay. want to pay for that. Anyhow. Okay. So if I open up an, an Explorer window and it happened to have Word documents there, it would be like, you should edit these with editor. Is yeah, that pretty much. 
Um, predictably, the internet blew up. Yeah. Outrage all over the place, including over here. <laughs> um, about, I don't know, 48 hours later, Microsoft walked the whole thing back. They unreleased this quote unquote experimental feature, <laughs> describing the fact that it made it out into the wild as unintentional. Right. So unintentional. That's, I mean, we you could call it, it that. You could call it, we're just going to see what happens. Yeah. I would say that my read on this is that it probably was unintentional that it made it out to external users. But the fact that somebody had to build and design this and it got to the point where it was a feature that they were testing internally, I mean, it's not like it's better. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's yeah, like if you murder someone and then somebody else accidentally sees it, you unintentionally release the information. It's not like you didn't still kill the person. So are we saying that murder is good or bad? I I'm unclear. Move on. Next question. Fair. <laughs> Best to keep it vague. So the other thing is this kind of thing has been around in Microsoft products for a while. At the very least, as early as 2016. I feel like it's been there for longer, but be honest, one of those little one-liner pop-ups is exactly how you first heard about OneDrive. It's very possible. Well, not me specifically, because I'm pretty sure I was using SkyDrive before they renamed it. Oh, wow. I forgot about SkyDrive. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were, I had Hotmail, and somehow that ended up getting linked to my SkyDrive, and I think they gave me a whopping five gigs of space. Might have even been less than that when it first happened. Oh, yeah, it could have been one gig. And I was like, you know, over the moon because Dropbox only gave you like two, but you had to sign up five of your friends. Right. <laughs> I did not realize that this was going to turn into Amway. Yeah, yeah, that was, I mean, it worked out well for them in the end. Uh, and I don't know if they still do that. But yeah, there was that time they're like, hey, share this with five of your friends. We'll give you more storage. That costs. Yeah, they so still do that. Do they? Oh, yeah, garbage. They, they, they bump it up by 250 megs at a time, I think. That's it? 250 megs. That's cute. Yeah. Adorable. All right. So uh, you have something else in here that's also about Microsoft. And I feel like we should just keep going with the theme. Since we're on one, we might as well. All right. So the thing about this is that it seems that it is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Microsoft's intentions. Recently, Microsoft has made it clear that advertising is to be the company's, and I am actually quoting, newfound religion. They know what a religion is, right? They do, and they're for it. <sighs> so let's back up a second. Google, is yes. an advertising company. Yes. Common knowledge, yes. I would hope anybody who doesn't realize that has not been paying attention. One thing that people might not necessarily know is exactly how much of an advertising company <laughs> they are. Oh, I know, but I love that you have a stat in here. Looking up last year's final financials, it turns out that advertising makes up something like 97% of Google's revenue. Let that sink in, folks. 97%. <laughs> Do 
Yeah. Now this might help explain why Google doesn't really care about its products at all. Yeah. Shelving them at the least provocation. I am looking despondently in your direction, Google reader. Yes, it's nearly been 10 years. No, I am still not over it. I think it's been more than 10 years. At this point, I'm uh, numbers. Time is a flat circle. I know it's fine. (laughs) Okay. (sighs) Now, up until this point, Microsoft, well, what is Microsoft exactly? In terms of where they get their money, it's actually tough to say, because if you look at their reports, they bury all their different revenue streams into roughly evenly distributed buckets. And looking at the last report that came out, they are called productivity and business processes, Mm -hmm. which is largely O365 and LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. intelligent cloud, which is Azure enterprise support and visual studio, Mm -hmm. and then more personal computing. Yes, the category is called more personal computing, not just personal computing. Why they decided to add that is frankly beyond me. It seems like uh, at some point they're going to create less personal computing. Well, I was thinking it might go the other way. Like maybe somebody was just reading way too much Eckhart Tolle and they were like, let's get to the id of our computing. Mm, Oh, could be, could be that. I'd like to stay firmly in the super ego, but you do you. (laughs) So this category actually includes advertising, in addition to Microsoft, Windows, OEM, devices, gaming, and a couple of other dribs and drabs. Hmm. But anyway, these three major buckets are all around 33%. Plus or minus, it doesn't matter. They're close enough to even. Mm -hmm. With advertising making an astonishing $10 billion already, (laughs) just as it stands. Not bad. You would think that. But the future for Microsoft looks much more googly, Ugh. which sounded bad when I wrote it. Now reading it out loud, I'm like, Ugh. I need a shower. God, <laughs> well, that's right. normal. I two showers and a bath. <laughs> so, in an article posted on AdExchanger.com, which is obviously a very advertising-centric publication. Mm-hmm. Microsoft's head of advertising, Rob Wilk, positively gushes about how their, quote, connected environment, and by that he means all the things that they own, LinkedIn, Xbox, Bing, the upcoming Activision, obviously Windows. Uh, this is going to provide an amazing opportunity for Microsoft to become an advertising powerhouse. <laughs> to quote Rob, uh-huh. Imagine a world not too far off where all of these pieces are stitched together to make a cleaner, clearer offering for our advertisers. Ah. Oh, I'm imagining it, Bobo. I'm imagining it. Good God. It's just clearly saying out there, we don't give a fuck about our customers. We're here for the advertisers. Let's sell you some shit. Right. The only thing they care about their customers is how many of them there are that they can put onto a bid sheet. Yeah. God, the way that you uh, rolled off the things that Microsoft owns, I don't think everybody quite understands how large the company is and how its tendrils extend to so many different things. Correct. They have your all your business stuff, your, your Microsoft 365. They have your LinkedIn, so your professional profile. 
And then if you use any of their gaming products, if you're an Xbox user, now they have all the information about your Xbox habits. And if you have unfortunately been forced to use Bing, now they have all your browsing data. And don't forget that you're probably using an operating system that they also own and collect data on as well. Is there any company that is better suited, aside from maybe Facebook, to know everything about you? Right. And, Terrifying. You know, just as an aside, we all know why you're using Bing. Well, we all know. Oh, I apologize. So, you know, and I just want to hit the brakes too, because you make a good point. First of all, other companies are doing this. Everybody's started to realize that data is currency. Specifically, personally identifiable data is currency. Right. Now, when we say this about hackers and ransomware, it's a bad thing. <laughs> But when we say it about Google or Microsoft, it's a business opportunity. It sounds like you said the same thing twice there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's important to think about too. So let's not just spend all our time mocking Microsoft. Oh. The same thing can be said about, let's go with exhibit B, Google. Mm -hmm. Number one thing that privacy-minded folks like to do when they get a new phone is install a vanilla version of Android. Why do they do that? <laughs> I think to I know. Pull all of the tendrils of Google out. Mm -hmm. What about Google Chrome? Google Chrome is admittedly a great browser. Some would say it's a browser that's eating the world. Some might. What else does Google Chrome do? Ooh, collects so much information. <laughs> so, as a retaliation to this, there is a project called Chromium, mm -hmm. which takes all of that greatness rolls out another browser that has removed all of the Google tendrils. Other companies are even taking that further. There's a browser that I love called Vivaldi, which adds in something key that Chromium doesn't have at present, which is the ability to auto update. Mm, that is useful. Okay. Yeah. Similar to a Microsoft effort in this realm, which is called VS Code. You might've heard of it. I have use it daily, in fact. Which is also admittedly awesome. It's I like it personally, yeah. I just got started using it like on a regular basis the past week or so, and mm -hmm. I cannot really imagine using anything else. But you know what else VS Code does? It reports telemetry back to Microsoft. I like that they use a science word for it, telemetry. <laughs> it's not spying, it's telemetry. So there's a product out there, a free open source version that does the exact same thing that Chromium and Vivaldi do. It's called VS Codium. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. Ooh, all right. Does the same exact thing. So the, really the question becomes, how long are the gigantic corporations going to tolerate this? My answer to that is they will continue to tolerate it as long as it doesn't eat into their profits. And the fact that I had never heard of VS Codium and the fact that almost, I won't say no one uses Chromium, but no significant portion of the internet uses Chromium. Right. They don't care. It's not worth their time and it's not worth uh, spoiling the good feelings, the good vibes they get from having an open source project like that. The fact that Visual Studio Code is mostly open source, Chrome likewise, 
that gives people the good warm and fuzzies. They want to maintain that in the developer community. So as long as it doesn't threaten their profits, they'll let it slide. Right. Microsoft loves Linux. Yeah, exactly. Give me money. Well, they love Linux because it runs on Azure. Right. <laughs> Obviously. Oh. All right. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. And I want to talk about, you know, a company that's not known for their profit-seeking, obnoxious behavior. Let's talk about, oh, no, oh, never mind. It's Oracle. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about Oracle anyway. Oh. Uh, not to be left out of Chippapalooza, Oracle is investing big in Ampere. Oh, I mean, Perry Farrell might not make it, but I bet you could uh, convince Limp Biscuit to make an appearance and amp up the crowd. They have a new album. Uh, I think it's called Limp Biscuit Sucks, and it is appropriately titled. <laughs> I can't tell if that's a real thing or not. It is a real thing, and it is true. Wow. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's that 20-year um, nostalgia cycle thing kicking in, uh, but it's still garbage. Anyway, so uh, the public cloud, as it has matured... Um, the big cloud providers, which we'll pretend Oracle is a member of for uh, for the purposes of this discussion. Well, they are big and they have a cloud. So, yes. So all the cloud providers are always looking for ways to differentiate themselves from their competitors. And they're all largely held in thrall by old Chipzilla itself, also known as Intel, who has about 90% of the server chip market. Sounds like a lot. A lot of leverage there. That's um, more than half. Mm-hmm. So that level of dominance puts the cloud providers in an awkward position where they cannot just dictate terms to Intel. You know, we will pay this price for this many processors. Intel's like, where are you going to go? Huh? What are you going to do? Well, the answer was, uh, we're going to buy some processors from AMD, which explains why AMD has had 11 straight quarters of growth in the server market and now has about 10% of that market, uh, which is pretty good. But I say about because there is a small portion of server processors like ARM-based processors also making an impact. AWS said, you know what? We're just going to make our own. And they did that with the uh, Gravitron processor, which I think is in version two now. I think it's Graviton. Graviton, yes. Gravitron is a carnival game. But I repeat myself. <laughs> uh, Google has been reportedly working on their own custom processor, and so is Microsoft, all ARM-based processors. Instead of developing their own processor, Oracle has cozied up to chipmaker Ampere, who specializes in ARM-based server chips. They started investing in 2017 and they've continued to pour money in to the tune of over $300 million as of last year. They now own over 20% of the company, and 8% of the compute running in Oracle's cloud is using an Ampere chipset. So the real question is, not if, but when will Oracle decide to buy Ampere? I'm guessing soon. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with probably in the next year. Of course, if history is any guide, Oracle buying a hardware company doesn't always go well. <laughs> Sun Microsystems? Anybody? <sighs> I would pour one out, but I just cleaned this carpet, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Well, maybe not the best outcome for Ampere, but we'll have to wait and see. I think the writing is very much on the wall for Intel in terms of AMD and ARM eating more and more of their lunch over the next five years or so. And the chip shortages and the lack of additional foundries for Intel is going to be a real problem for them. And also they're getting beaten around in the uh, desktop space as well. Not I... only by AMD, but also by the uh, Apple chip that came out. The newest version of the M1. The M1 Ultra, I believe. M1 Super Ultra 10 Push-Ups Plus Plus, I think it's called. One-handed push-ups, too. Ob obviously. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have even said it. Oh, God, it's such an idiot. It's a technical podcast, Ned. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I think we have time for one more. And because I'm a gentleman and a scholar and prettier than you, I'll let you go. By that, you mean you didn't write a last one, did you? Oh, no, I did. But <laughs> that could be the bonus when we start our Patreon. <laughs> We're not doing that, by the way. I had a Patreon. It was awful. Anyway. So, speaking of the consumer market, mm. new emojis are rolling out for general use. Yay! Yeah. And let's play a game here. Oh, I like games. Here's some words and or phrases. Okay. Ready? Mm-hmm. Ready. Beans. Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Wait until the end. Oh, sorry. Okay. Bubbles. Mm-hmm. Two hands making a hearty sign. Okay. Like this. I I get you. I and you know, very good for an audio medium. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> I had to practice that. <laughs> I think you did. What <laughs> what do these all have in common? They are all included in the latest batch of emojis set for upcoming widespread release as part of Apple's iOS 15.4 and Android 12L. Okay. New game. What about the word lasagna? Garfield. I'm going to get to that. <laughs> okay. I mean, when you say lasagna, that's literally the first thing I think of. And then I think about Mondays, and then I think about litter boxes. And how it was really weird that Garfield spent so much time in his litter box. Like, I've never known a cat that does that. They don't stay there on purpose, no. Like, if they're staying in the litter box, it's probably because something's wrong. True. Which, in fairness, there was a lot wrong with Garfield. So I guess we've come full circle. You may proceed, sir. <sighs> I don't even remember what we were talking about. <laughs> oh, <Sonia>. right. <laughs> it's 2022, and the lords of emojiing, cruel and capricious as they are, have seen fit to include an empty jar. But the world of small talking pictures, because words take too long, is still bereft of something that can quickly quickly describe delicious multi-layered pasta, possibly one of the oldest types. Thanks, Wikipedia. Stacked with alternating fillings such as meat and veg and cheeses. Nope. No picture for that. No lasagna. What are we doing here? Mm. We still have to use a combination of a cake and spaghetti emoji like a bunch of jerks when we want to concisely describe what is probably Italy's longest lasting contribution to the world. What about wine? And it's not for want of trying. There have been attempts. Last one that I can find because 
the way that they decide on these things, I still can't completely understand, but it definitely doesn't seem public. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> the last effort was summarily rejected in October of 2020. No reason given. Someone on Twitter said it was because it was too closely associated with a brand, a.k.a. Mm. Garfield. Thanks, Jim Davis. I can't tell if that was serious. Mm. Considering in 2022, Bush's baked beans was all about the latest update, I'm starting to think it wasn't serious. I think that Jim Davis's estate just didn't lobby hard enough. <sighs> Maybe they're in the litter box, too. Mm. So... Anyway, emoji lawgivers, with the additions provided by this latest update, I can now confidently say, slide, boom, x-ray, crutch, sad face. But I cannot say lasagna, smiling, relief, raffle. That's right. We pronounce it raffle. We don't say R-O-F-L. It's, it's fine. I hope... You're happy, Emoji Police. I hope you're happy. Let me summarize in a way that you might understand. Spaghetti, question mark, spaghetti, question mark. Thumbs down, pointing at you. See, I used a new one. Mm. Poop emoji. <laughs> it always comes back to the poop emoji. <laughs> and the poop is smiling, Chris. The poop smiles, Ned. The poop smiles. Call this shit poop. <laughs> awesome well that's it we did it that's an episode Ooh. and we kept it under an hour so you're welcome everybody out there uh thanks for listening or something i guess you found it worthwhile enough that you made it all the way to the end so congratulations to you friend you accomplished something today now you can go sit on the couch eat a chili dog and play zelda breath of the wild for the rest of the day you have earned it you've earned it like uh seventh harmony or whatever what? Bone Thugs in Harmony? No, no, not that. The other one. Seventh Heaven. Yes. Okay. All right. We 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 figured it out. Uh, you can find me or Chris on Twitter at Ned1313 and at Hainer8080, respectively. Or you can follow the show if that's the kind of thing you're into, you weird sicko. Show notes are available at chaoslever.com. If you like reading things, which you shouldn't, podcasts are better in every conceivable way. We'll be back next week to see what fresh hell is upon us. Ta-ta for now. Bye.